up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Another off-season one for you. We've got some more roster moves to talk about, uh, some things going on in the Mets world, as always. And we have a little bit of a giveaway announcement for a DJ Stewart signed baseball that we asked you guys to reply to us, retweet, follow us on Twitter. Make sure you are, because we're going to be giving stuff away, it seems like, this off-season. We wanted to do a little Thanksgiving giveaway to you guys, the awesome viewers and listeners at home that keep supporting the show. We really do appreciate you. So we'll go over who the winner is, as well as some great Mets stories from Mets fans as well. From the replies in the tweet, make sure, again, you're following us on all our social media, at MetsUp, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel if you want to see the video version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, Drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. We really do appreciate it. Maybe we'll take a look at the reviews too, see if we've got any new ones. We haven't haven't checked those in a couple months. Might be a little dated now that baseball's over. But James, how are we feeling? What's going on? Feeling good. Excited for Thanksgiving. Excited to go back and hang out with my family. Excited. Hopefully this doesn't get dated to watch Ohio State play football Ooh. this weekend. Getting ready for that. Like 25% chance I wind up going there. So we'll see how that winds up. But Oh, really? Small chance, small chance. Uh, Sammy and I are really just thinking about hopping in the car and just sending it. Is it is it in Columbus or is it in Michigan? In Ann Arbor, never been. Whoa, I know. You never I, been? I've been to the I've been to the campus in the city, but I've never been to the stadium to a game there. Whoa, okay. Yeah. And this is like this is the most important college football game ever played. So this is this, this is the one time to go. Yeah, this could kill Michigan. Yeah, this could kill Michigan as a university, but. That's not this. You guys don't like when we talk about college they football. John's not even here to make us talk about it because he would ask <gasps> us 25 questions about it. But wait, can can we briefly mention that we we have possession of the funniest clip ever of John of uh, producer John Stat John? Yeah, I guess that's actually true. We should. So John is a big Indiana basketball fan, as you guys know. I mean, I'm sure you guys love to be getting get po- podcast starting with this. But we promise, if you're watching this on YouTube, it will be worth it if John allows it. If John allows it, yeah. Uh, more like Vito allows it. I don't really. John, John, John sent us the video. We have it in our possession. Whatever John wants to do. John just loves the camera. He's happy to be on it. But John was in a contest at the Indiana Georgetown basketball game last UConn. week. UConn. UConn. Sure. Oh, yeah, UConn. Yeah, you're right. It's the Ray Allen jersey. And he, it was like a, one of the things where it's like you're on a tricycle, but you have no pedals. So you're like pushing your feet, pushing your feet, pushing your feet to try and go as fast as you can. And John got, got smoked. smoked. John got smoked, first of all, by the woman he was competing against. She, she beat him down the court by like half a court length. And then you have to dribble back up the court. And she dribbled down the court and she missed her first few layups. So John saw his opportunity after falling so far behind in the tricycle race. And then as he was trying to get a quick shot up, he completely ate court face planted <laughs> down the Madison Square Garden while he is a, a father of one. In his thirties, wearing a tank, just a, a basketball jersey with no undershirt and a backwards hat, and then as he's getting up off the ground, she makes her next layup, and the contest is over. I, this is why I love John, though, because that thing happens, and we could have, we would have had no idea, never a clue in the world that this went on. And first thing the next day in the morning, I wake up to a text in the Mets up group chat about how. John just puts this video and I watch it just thinking like, oh, John did the half court shot. Like, this is hilarious. This is funny. Let's see what it is. And then to see him just face plant and the announcer at MSG go, oh, down goes John. It made it just that much better at that point. Yeah, it, it was it was one of the funniest videos I've ever seen. And if you guys watch this on YouTube a lot and you just listen to us making fun of John, this will be something you appreciate greatly. Yeah, John, we love you. Thank you for sending us that video. Really, really brought a smile to my face in the morning, which is uh, is a great thing. So now to talk about the Mets, like you said, I think the biggest thing to talk about right now is going to be the roster moves that were made. Of course, the non-tender deadline has come and go or come and gone, come and gone. That's how you would say that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Mets have gotten rid of a couple fan favorites. They've gotten rid of a couple players that, uh, especially on this podcast, maybe we like a little bit, but 
the three big ones, I think, or maybe the two big ones more specifically will be Daniel Vogelback and Luis Guillorme. And then the third big one being for, of course, this podcast, Jeff Brigham. Uh, where do we want to start, James? Which guy? I think we should start with Guillorme because Guillorme now was a guy who spent a lot of years with this team, just a lot of years with this organization. Guillorme overall had over 800 play appearances as a Met. He appeared in over 300 games. Like He was not only a fan favorite, someone who did make a big impact a lot of times when he was on the field. Maybe for right now, what this roster needs and direction they want to go, not exactly the type of player, the archetype of a player that they're looking for. But I think we're all going to look back on Luis Guillorme's time as one of those guys who are like, yeah, like in 20 years, we'll be going around naming athletes and be like, Luis Guillorme. He'd be like, oh, yeah, like that's that's Luis Guillorme. He was a good ball player. I think I think he will catch on somewhere and be on a major league roster, almost no doubt. Oh, totally. I mean, he has value because, like we said, he can play all three or three of the four infield positions at a pretty high level. I know this past year wasn't necessarily the greatest for Luis. He also had some injury stuff going on as well, which definitely seemed to hinder his performance. But, I mean, we saw him like in 2022 in that role that we talked about during the offseason where we're like, Guillermo is going to be important. He's going to get 300 plate appearances, and he was a league average hitter with an above average glove, something that helped that team win over or win 100 games that year. So, I mean, like, it was time for him. I think the big thing, too, was that he was no longer, he was out of options, which, of course, is super, super important uh, for a major league team when you have a guy like Guillermo, who is that fringe caliber player. The ability to send him up and down is super valuable. And right now, David Stearns, the Mets just, kind of assess that Guillaume is someone that they could replace, which I don't disagree with as well. There's plenty of players just like him available on the market. Yeah, totally. And the other th- big thing that made Guillaume in this exact like problems of a roster dispensable was I think the the way that Ron and Mauricio developed and came along. And it seems yeah. like as of now, we don't know what's going to happen free agency in the trade market. We know the Mets have a lot of open roster spots, which we're going to talk about more in a little bit here. But he was like he was the backup shortstop in the organization. Like if anything catastrophic were to happen to the starting shortstop, like we knew at least Luis Guillermo can give a league glove there. But now it seems like that the Mets can trust Ryan Mauricio with that role, and it seems like those two being on the roster is kind of extraneous, especially when one hits the ball hard, one doesn't. Even though one plays much better defense than the other, I think just in terms of what you want as a ball club, it's probably a little more power. Yeah, and especially when your shortstop is so good defensively, you don't really need that good backup defensive shortstop. That's where you can almost like kind of cheat a little bit and go like, all right, well, let's go with Ron Mauricio. At least he can give us that plus bat possibly. So uh, yeah, definitely sad to see Luis Guillermo go. Give me one of my most electric vlogs ever back in 2019, sitting with the seven line, that big home run against the Washington Nationals, a game that you were also weirdly at, I believe, right? Yes, and that was the first home run of Luis Guillermo's career. He did not hit another one for... About two full calendar years. <laughs> <laughs> Luis Guillorme, Mets legend, uh, wizard, and uh, wish the best for him going forward. Another guy that we'll mention too, of course, Daniel Vogelback. Now, some Mets fans, not the biggest fan of Daniel Vogelback's time with the New York Mets. And I will say there were some disappointing times. I think we both expected a little bit more out of him. But relatively speaking, he still, I, I know you guys don't want to hear it because, I mean, he's gone. But this is the last time we'll ever talk about it. Still was, technically speaking, above average offensively during his time with the Mets. Yeah, he. I think that based on what we gave up, which some people want to still think is a lot, and Colin Holderman didn't which really doesn't matter being very much. Even now, Holderman does still have his years of team control for very little money, even though he wasn't super effective last year, despite some of his pitches developing, but also dealing with some injury issues. Uh, Vogelback, it was a move at the trade deadline twenty, or like I guess it was even earlier. It was what like late June no. twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty two. Of course, but it's just they're like we need the H, we need the H right now. We and we don't have that much stuff to give up. So let's give up this and get that. And Guillermo was great that year. He was he was significantly worse last year. He was good when he came back from his mental health break. 
you won't hear it. He had the highest WRC plus for any player trade at the 22 deadline. And that was like what we needed, but then it just didn't turn out to be exactly that. But again, bottom line, I think this is, we're just seeing now with David Stearns now like six weeks into his tenure, really as the head of uh, baseball operations here, maybe seven weeks into it where he's just like, he seems like he has a very specific vision for what he wants right now, or maybe not a specific vision, but just under an, more of an understanding of the types of players that he wants in this roster and guys who are, kind of like Iorme and kind of like Vogelback, who are a little more one-dimensional, probably aren't guys who he covets as much as possibly people in the past. Yeah, and I mean, you guys have listened to us probably now for at least two off-seasons uh, talk about the kind of players that we've wanted to bring in. And a lot of the names might be new to you at times where we're like, this is someone we like. I know someone, uh, when we first got started, I think we like would always joke about Ryan Cordell, your guy. And it was just like a fast outfielder who's got some ceiling, who's got some pop, and like can do a lot of different things. Like you said, Vogelback. Talk about one-dimensional. He literally could only hit. And then Luis Guillorme really was just a glove at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think it's nice to see that the vision going forward is a little bit more about flexibility, a little bit more about the ability to just be more than just that one type of player that you're you know pigeonholed into. So, Daniel Vogelback, wish the best for you again. Someone's going to pick him up without a doubt. And I'm sure he'll be great out in Seattle or wherever he goes. But uh, he'll, he'll be all right. And then the last guy to talk about that's going to hit home, this one, James. I'm going to let you take it. Jeff Brigham, how are we feeling? Jeff Brigham, gone but never forgotten. I mean, the Brigham boys, we had our run last year in April and May. It happened. We had the hot streak. It did happen. It was going to happen at some point. It faded away. And then, again, kind of similar though to Vogelback, where he became more a little bit of a one-dimensional pitcher, where he could really not... He wasn't that effective against hitters from the left side of the plate. He really only had the sweeper and the fastball. And the fastball didn't play up like I hoped it would after he came back from injury. And I think there's still some flashes. I'm sure some team invites him to spring training. I'm not unconvinced that'll be the Mets. I was also a little surprised about Sam Coonrod being mm. let go for similar reasons. Also threw hard, also had a good slider. But again, I think this is just we're all which is all about David Stearns right now, where seven weeks in, we he's he's taken 16 players off the big league roster. We're heading into free agency. I think 27 or 26 guys in the 40 man, which we talked about last week, which is le- legitimately unprecedented in modern baseball. I've never seen anything like it. And then he, we're going to see a lot, a lot, a lot of movement, a lot of movement coming back. One of those moves I'm, though, guy who came back, we're really excited about DJ Stewart. Yes. Which it's, it really wound up being a no brainer for how well he played at the end of the year, the power he showed and just like, Again, being able to play defense and manage himself in right field effectively. He made a couple of great catches there, banging into the wall. He was yeah. a clutch player. And one of the coolest things is how excited he was to be brought back. He immediately tweeted about it. Mets fans filled up his replies. Every single person on Mets Twitter like had their own tweet ready for DJ Stewart to come back. And they got great engagement. It was hilarious. And it was cool also for his perspective, the fact that David Stearns just kind of was like just axing through this 40-man roster, but he was like, yes, you, I want you back on this team. I think that means a lot. Yeah, and I I think part of the reason why is that DJ Stewart has an option, so that's big, like whether he's playing well, whether he's struggling, whatever it is, he can go up and down all year on this team as many times as they want. That's huge. That's big for flexibility. Roster construction allows David Stearns to get a little more creative with some guys, uh, whereas Guillaume and Vogelback, you could not do that. Uh, Just to give you guys some context again, and then, I, I, like, when we spoke to DJ Stewart during our interview, it really hit about how he was like, yeah, like, I had a rough, uh, or I did so well in spring training, and then I didn't really start off well in Syracuse. Like, I started off rough, but then he talked about how, like, his daughter just kind of, like, let him calm down a little bit, kind of put things into perspective, and just started playing baseball again. And he was so excited to be a part of that Mets roster, be playing every single day at that time, to be playing as well as he was. I mean, finished the year, granted it was 58 games, just under 200 plate appearances, but with a WRC plus at 130, like that 60 game stretch for DJ Stewart 
turned him from a guy who was kind of a journeyman, minor leaguer, 4A kind of player into a guy now who is going to most likely have a spot on the major league roster opening day for the New York Mets. That's huge for a guy like DJ Stewart, who's always chasing the dream, just like everybody else in major league baseball. Yes, and Steamer Projections came out about a week, week and a half ago now, and they actually love DJ Stewart. Steamer Projections is fan, one of Fangrass internal projections. It's usually year after year. It's the first one that comes out, and it always winds up being one that's pretty close to what actually happens. It's a really good projection system. You guys should definitely use it if you play fantasy baseball and you're, and you're doing some research early. But he right now is projected to have a 106 WRC+. plus. That means he's projected to be 6% better than league average. That 106 number is actually better than Teoscar Hernandez, a, a prime Whoa. DH candidate was last year. Yes, 105 Whoa. last year. Yes, and Seamer projects DJ Stewart for 195 ISO. That's isolated slugging. That's taking your slugging, subtracting your batting average, just kind of isolating the power, your extra base hits, really. And that 195 projected ISO right now is higher than Brian Reynolds, Ellie De La Cruz, Cody Bellinger, and George Springer. Whoa! And they're giving him a 115-game sample on Spring, uh, Steamer just because right now the way the Mets roster construction oh, yeah. is, it looks like DJ Stewart's an everyday player in the five-hole. So <laughs> they're like, oh, he's going to play a lot. He's going to have a lot of power opportunities. But I think it is indicative of what DJ Stewart can be and what his role is for a Major League Baseball team that this projection system is like he is a, he's an above-average power hitter in baseball. Yeah, and I think we just want to temper expectations too unlikely he's probably going to have an 850 OPS like he did again in that 60-game sample, just the way that his game works. It's going to be tough, but hey, he if he hits 20 home runs like Steamer's projecting him, 106 WRC+, plus, I don't care what his OPS is. That is a productive, productive year for a guy, DJ Stewart, who's making $1 million on this roster, like just not supposed to be one of the big guys here. I also got to say, it's funny, this weekend, again, a little more college football talk, sorry guys, but got to get it in really there. Right this is a big weekend. This is the weekend. This is the weekend. Uh, Florida State, in a magical season, lost their star quarterback Jordan Travis to a gruesome gruesome oh, leg injury. Don't look it up. If you guys don't like uh, bad leg injuries, do not look it up. If you guys kind of like some of that stuff, it was really bad, but I just worst. recommend looking at it. I, I thought about DJ Stewart because I was like, man, he, I remember how excited he was when we talked to him. The season was about to start. <laughs> and State. now, now like, they might still get a shot in the playoff, but I don't, I don't really know if they should. It's weird. It's an awkward situation, but I my heart went out to DJ Stewart for that. From his high on Friday night of being of, of getting his contract with the Mets, <laughs> and then Saturday watching his star quarterback shatter his leg on national television on the way to a national championship run, that stinks. Yeah, and if you guys have ever seen his Twitter, I mean, he loves Florida State. Loves Florida. Like He's such a big like Seminoles fan. Right now too. Oh, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, big game. Big- okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Game. All right, and then let's talk about another guy that the Mets brought in as well. And you're, I'm gonna again, I'm gonna give you this one because this is this is a little bit of the random reliever special here for James Shiano. Cole Solcer, who's a name that when we were living together during 2020, I heard that name way too much. Cole Solcer, tell me a little bit about him. Solcer is someone who's interesting. He's bounced around for a lot of the um, a lot of smarter organizations the last few years between the Orioles, the Rays, the Diamondbacks. Um, I said the Orioles. I said the Orioles. Yeah, you did. Orioles and the Orioles. And he had an incredibly, exceptionally good 2021. He was a guy who I was trying to like project and like in my deep fantasy baseball leagues when we were living together in 2020 as someone who could like get me like five to 10 saves in 2021. <laughs> and it wound up almost being true. His changeup was his best pitch. And I found a great clip. I, I want to like wait for the bright moment to post on Twitter of him just getting Shohei to whiff 
so hard at this amazing changeup right in the other edge. He placed it perfectly. He was looking for a fastball, and Shohei like raised his eyebrows after it. Like, whoa, that was a good pitch. And the thing that Salser did so well with that changeup back then was that he used it really well to play off his fastball that had good life and had it wasn't like great velocity, but with his life on it, about 93, 94 was a usable pitch. And the changeup would just fade to the lefties, and it would, it would, that's how he'd get them out. And then he has a slider who's working too, kind of a tighter gyro slider with like a tiny bit of sweep on it. But he really lost that fastball over the last few years. He's dealt with some injuries, and it just wasn't there. And then with that, it seems like he kind of lost track of his changeup too. Had three and a half more inches of fade last okay. year in 2023 compared to 2021 when the pitch was at its best and suffered in both results and pitch grades, especially in stuff plus. But he did get the life in his fastball back by the end of the year. He didn't pitch that much last year. I think he only threw about. 35 changes, about 60 or 70. Who was he with last year? He was with the Diamondbacks for a hot second. I think the Rays very briefly when they were just cycling through guys who they were trying to find out who was going to stick in that bullpen. But the fact that he got that fastball life back, I think that makes him just getting an invite to spring training worth it. The fact that if we can get him back in the pitch lab and put, get his change back to a place it's going to be. I'm not telling you Cole Salser is going to be you know, the Mets setup man and the Mets, Mets future closer here, but I'm just telling you that I think he's someone who, similar to Coonrod and Bring up last year, where it's like, okay, this is a pitcher who, I think he has an option. I'm going to double check that right now, but he has stuff that has been good in the major leagues before and probably can do well. Something else funny about Cole Sosa, yes, he does have an option. That makes that make also a lot more sense here. But him and his wife have written a children's book Whoa! about baseball. I think huh. it's called Benny Takes a Bat. I'm going to double check it right now. Benny the Pitcher. It's called Benny the Pitcher. It's a paperback. It was released in 2020. So as, you know, he, he was hot on my mind. Him and his wife were, you know, multitasking here during the pandemic as well, which is really cool. And I'll tell you guys this right now. If Cole Solcer gets a save this year for the New York Mets, not only will I purchase this children's book and we'll do a reading of it on the podcast, my mom works in a school. I'll go and read the book to some of her students. Ooh, okay. See, I was going to say we should just read the book, I think, just in general. Like in spring yeah. training, at some point he gets an appearance. Let's get Cole Solcer's book out there a little bit. And if but he gets a save for the Mets, I will, he, I will go to... In elementary school, my mom teaches, uh, shout out to you, and I will read the book to some students. Okay, I like that. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll join along too. I'll, I'll film. I'll video yeah. that. Mark will video. Mark will video. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, cold, that's the Cole Solcer minute. Uh, question for you, James. As the pitching nerd, the, the pitching guru, as we say, do you feel vindicated when like the Mets have a smart guy like David Stearns making the decisions and then he hops on immediately to one of the guys you've been saying for a couple years now? 100%. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, that's why I felt last year with Jeff Brigham, too. I was writing about Jeff Brigham in like 2021. And I was writing for Pitcher List. I was like, this guy's closer stuff. And I'm like, yes. But it's a little, it's a little different. Now, the fact that David Stearns, like one of his first, his first order of business and Mets general manager was, let me get a niche <laughs> reliever that James talked about two years ago. I'm like, nice. That's really cool. And Maybe he's a big fan of your writing, you know? If David Stern's ever read anything I wrote, any of my reliever stuff, that'd be crazy. That'd be so funny. I mean, this, this, this is why we got to talk to him. We got to be like, how, what do you think about Cole Salster? But I digress. <laughs> All right. Now, in terms of moves, I think that's pretty much it for the Mets. Um, everybody else got tendered a contract, so you'll see them again next year. Uh, and then just some like kind of off-season housekeeping stuff before we start talking about free agency and some moves going around the division. Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso both got some down-ballot MVP votes. Francisco Lindor finishing inside the top 10 for the second time in three years as a New York Met. Uh, so the haters can... What'd you say? Back-to-back years. Oh, back-to-back years, I know, but second time in three years, I'm just oh, saying yeah. in general, just as a New York Met, he's been top 10 in MVP twice. I'm saying that again for all you out there so that you can listen to it. Top 10 in MVP twice. 
at the shortstop position, also won the Silver Slugger, as we know. And Pete Alonso finished 17th, receiving MVP votes for the third time in his career in five seasons with the New York Mets. So shout out to them. Obviously, we know how good they are as well. We have to talk about Kodai Senga, who finished inside the top 10. Honestly, finished a little bit lower than I thought he should have. I think he yeah. should have been a top five guy. I think seven was a little, a little disrespectful. I, I don't agree with that, but seven as a rookie in his first season in Major League Baseball, not too shabby. No, not bad at all. Got some third place votes as well. I think I was a little surprised with how high Logan Webb wound up finishing, but then when I looked at yeah. like how, how much he actually pitched, it does. It seems like though, like every year with the Cy Young, the writers go back and forth on what they want to value. It's kind of just like a choose your own venture. Like a few years ago when it was Wheeler versus Burns, I was like, Wheeler threw like 60 more innings and was basically as effective. Like, why is the other guy getting the credit for not throwing as many innings while being barely more effective? But I digress. There's no rhyme or reason to that. It's just a bunch of writers voting. And I'm happy Sanga did get that bit of an accolade as a rookie. I think Senga should have finished ahead of Justin Steele. Oh, I, I think Justin Steele should not have been in the top 10. Yeah, like I think he should have finished ahead of Steele. I think he should have finished ahead of Wheeler. I think he has an argument to finish ahead of Spencer Strider because that fraud almost had a four ERA. Yeah, fourth with a four ERA. Get, get real. No, and uh, I mean, the Braves have been active. We'll talk about them briefly. But Sanger had an incredible year. And you know what? Honestly, good. More people doubt him. I just want, want a bigger chip on his shoulder. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. Yep. Shout out to uh, Francisco Alvarez, turned 22 this week, which means the 21-year-old meme that me and James have been yelling about on this podcast for the last year is officially over. He's uh, 22 years old in two days. November 19th was his birthday. James put out a, a great little meme. What was that? Is that the Ninja Turtles? Was that? Yeah, no, it was, it was such a stupid meme. We were like, we need to think of a meme for Francisco Alvarez turning 22. And like, we were like, can't think of anything. I was like, should we use Taylor Swift? You were like, yeah, but I don't know how. I was like, yeah, I don't really know either. I get what you're saying, but... I just have did something stupid. I just, yeah, just he feeling now, now 22. That, now, yeah, now we, that he's 20, what we should have, we should have like done like highlights of him with the Taylor Swift song in the background. That's what it would have been. Dang, we missed it. Why does birthday have to be a Sunday? Why does it have to be? <laughs> that's a football, that's a football day. That's what I mean. If his birthday was a Tuesday, it would have been much more focused. It would have been much oh. more aligned with that. Tuesday uh, before Thanksgiving, locked in. Yes, Sunday well. of uh, some big football games, not locked in. We could have literally just done like 22 different home runs for Alvarez. Oh. <sighs> this is bad. This is bad. All right. All right. Forget about that. Let's get a little bit sad now. Uh, David Wright on the Hall of Fame ballot. Just so sad. Really hits in the feels. The Hall of Fame ballot is out. And I think maybe we'll save this for an episode when John is on with us because I know John's really passionate about one one player in particular uh, that's on the Hall of Fame ballot because John uh, <laughs> is a traitor and just wants to stab and twist the knife in our hearts every chance he gets. Um, and that, but that's also why we make fun of him. That's the give and take you get with Johnny stats. So we'll talk about the Hall of Fame ballot a little bit more probably in an upcoming episode. He doesn't come on this ballot and just show anymore. He has his own show now where he can stroke his ego. It's all this was for him. That's but true. I, but how, how can you talk about his favorite uh, non-Met ever, Chase? Yeah, of course. I do think, though, it is, it's funny like to look at this Hall of Fame ballot and see that a guy like David Wright is on it the same year as a guy like Adrian Beltre is on it, where Beltre debuted <sighs> in like 1998 and had played like 700 games before David Wright came to the major leagues and then played after he retired and it's just why are you doing this why are you I just, doing I just, this i don't know we got to talk about it i mean i just seeing seeing david wright's name in the hall of fame ballot was like something i've like dreaded for years where i'm like damn and the fact that like him and reyes around the same time is also kind of interesting and then like like bartolo Colon. i like, think about when bartolo Colon started <laughs> playing baseball when david wright started playing baseball the fact they're on the same hall of fame ballot it sucks it's miserable but Bartolo Colon's about to go play in that league in Dubai. I think they're having like their showcase this week in uh, Baseball United. It's crazy that that guy's still going to be pitching technically professionally. Bartolo Colon is 10 years older than David Wright. He was born in 1972, right? He was born in 1982. <laughs> 
Oh, Bartolo Colon, David Wright, equally Mets uh, legends, uh, according to some. Now, to actually talk about the offseason, to wrap up this episode here, before we go and announce the giveaway winner of the DJ Stewart signed baseball, to which you should follow us on Twitter, at MetsUp, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the best available free agent not named Shohei Otani, has become officially posted this weekend, I think technically yesterday on Monday. Uh, so that means that teams can now put in their offer sheets, put in their, their bids, to be able to then sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who you guys have heard us talk about him ad nauseum on this podcast. We're going to continue until he's signed by a team. Hopefully, it'll be the Mets. Uh, best pitcher available on the market right now, without a doubt. Yeah, I think it's not even close. That speaks to both how how much potential Yamamoto has, as well as what else is on the market, especially now that Aaron Nola is off the market. I think that um, there was a great clip that was going around this week of uh, the SNY booth. First of all, the fact that Adam Alavino is over there. He's, he's on sitting on the couch. He's giving some great analysis. He's a I think he'd be great there. I don't think he's done playing, but I think if he ever did decide to step into being an analyst, he would be fantastic. He's just, he's passionate, he could, he's knowledgeable. I feel like he could almost be like Bill Walton-y about like baseball, just because he's like a little, he's a little out there with like, again, we asked him, what are you listening to before the game? He's like, lo-fi hip hop. Like, I'll never forget that answer for the life of me. Just like, whoa, you know, it's not even a song. It's just a playlist of sounds. Yeah, just think, I like, I like just like music. I don't like anyone singing it necessarily, but yeah, I think he would be good there. I think that, um, I think everyone wants to pretend right now in baseball Twitter, baseball analysts, everyone wants to be like, my team is a favor for Yamamoto. When realistically, no one knows anything because even like today when we're recording this Tuesday, it's the first time anyone can actually even make an offer to him. Yeah. I think anyone can even really talk to him. And Andy Martino was talking to, uh, to our favorite bald analyst, who I'm not going to say his name. And uh, so he, and Martino was like, hey, Beetle so like juice. the Red Sox, what? Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, of course. It's kind of similar, actually, if I think about it. Where it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> And round heads, but uh, uh, oh, Martino goes the Yankees, the Mets, and the Red Sox are all really strong candidates. And then the guy goes, Oh, yeah, so those are the strongest candidates. Martino goes, No, 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 there are lots of candidates. <laughs> he says, So they're not top three. Martino goes, They are not top three, <laughs> they are just people who are going to make strong offers. These are not the only people making strong offers, everyone's going to make a strong offer. And I think that is like where we should leave the discussion because everyone wants this guy. There's yeah. like probably 17 teams that are going to make a bid on him and try and offer him a contract, like legitimately. Like everyone wants a frontline starting pitcher. He's 25 years old. He throws in the upper 90s with a devastating splitter, and a and a he's a he's been pitching in big games in Japan. He wants the spotlight, and he's shown uh, the ability to improve, learn new pitches, and do new things. Kodai just came over last year and showed people the high end of what can happen when a Japanese pitcher can throw that hard with a devastating off-speed pitch. Everyone's going to be in. I think the Mets have a really good chance to get him, but I just everyone temper your expectations. I'm scared. Yeah, it's not it's not a shoe in by any means. Uh, it, at the end of the day, it's also going to come down to where he wants to go as well. Like if, if he do, if he wants to play in New York, he's going to play in New York. He wants to play out west. He wants to go play for the Kansas City Royals. He can make that decision. He's going to have that option. Uh, I, don't stress. There's nothing we can do as fans. Literally nothing. Just hope that Yoshinobu Yamamoto is playing for the right team in New York next year with the New York Mets. Would love to see him here and uh, join Kodai Senga in that rotation because, like you said. He is absolutely disgusting. Now, to talk about the other Japanese player on the market who would also love on the New York Mets, I think everybody would love him on their team. Maybe maybe not the Angels since they couldn't win with him. But <laughs> Shohei Otani, uh, of course, the best free agent that we are, are probably going to ever really see hit the free agent market in our lifetime just because He's of his worried. ability to pitch and hit. It's absolutely disgusting. Allegedly, supposedly, take, taking secret meetings. And, and part of these secret meetings are that if he hears... 
that it's being leaked. So let's just say that the Cubs, you know, the Cubs, that's a team that could be taking some secret meetings with Shohei Otani. If it gets leaked that he's taken this secret meeting with the Cubs, apparently he's going to hold that against the team. He's going to be like, hey, no leaks. This is my free agency. This is my show. You don't get to tell people when I'm talking to you. That's on me. I absolutely love it. Ball's in your court. This is sick. No, I legitimately love this, especially when you know a free agent has like so much leverage where it's like some of the most leverage ever we've seen any any athlete have in the open market. This, this does remind me of the LeBron days, like 2010, where he was like, I'm going to I want you to give me a pitch. And like James Dolan gives him like a PowerPoint presentation. And you hear Pat Ray like drop the rings on the table and like the Bulls people do their thing where it's like, OK, like this is really like like woo me like tell me the like get me the, yeah get me to come here court me and and if you leak if you say anything you're out i don't trust yeah. you i don't trust you i can't do this it's like he has the power and i, I do it and this is a call out to every reporter in the world who covers the mets if the mets were to ever take a secret meeting and you leak it i'll never forgive you i'll never forgive you you're dead to me you're dead to me i don't care if you if the mets somehow get one of these secret meetings with shohei otani and you and you leak it dead to me and you should be dead to the Mets world you should never exist <laughs> no I mean if if any person who's like not involved in the decision making process hurts the ability for this decision to be made and like actually deal get done I I, like, I don't want to ever think that like us people in the normal world can affect these things like in the in the risen world over here but if it does you're a special kind of evil yeah special kind of evil I'm talking to you on fan side whatever article publication you write for don't be that guy don't be that guy it's not, you're not that guy, pal. It's not worth it. Uh, another guy that could maybe be that guy for the Mets one day, little connections to David Stearns as well. How about uh, Brandon Woodruff getting non-tender? That one was the most surprising, least surprising move that happened during the non-tender deadline because it makes sense with the Brewers, the way that they're operating, and the fact that they weren't able to make a trade. Brandon Woodruff's most likely not pitching uh, this upcoming season in 2023 or 2024. Well, 2024, that's the year we're going to be in. Yeah. But when he comes back, you do have one of the best pitchers in baseball available at your uh, disposal. So, Brandon Woodruff to the Mets. What do you think, James? I mean, you do theoretically, but like a guy like Woodruff, like the, it, this injury definitely scares me. Okay. The fact that like it's it's not an elbow to shoulder, and he's a pitcher who is already in his thirties. He's a pitcher who also has been pitching with Raynaud, Raynaud syndrome for over two years now, which. Raynaud syndrome, for people who don't know, it cuts off circulation, your extremities. So as a pitcher, he had a lot of pressure. This was the 2021 20, season, right? That this happened or it was 2022? 2022, because remember he started off bad and then he started like taking pill, the pills or whatever that you were telling me about. He got like medicated and then thought, he was I like, really oh my God, I'm better. I really thought it was 21 because I'm seeing his injury log right here. It says 21 missed illness. That feels oh, like okay. more illness. Maybe, but, well, maybe that's when it was discovered. Yeah. And this, that's not like something that's like necessarily death sentence at all. Like Tom Glavin pitched most of his Hall of Fame career also with Raynaud syndrome. But oh, it, do you really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it, it does, it affects like the way you can feel pressure in your fingers. So as a pitcher, not being able to feel pressure in your fingers to me feels really difficult because it seems like that's what, a lot, what you're doing a lot of, especially Woodruff, a guy that throws a sinker. Like that's a pitcher where you kind of need to apply pressure with your fingers to a certain degree. And I, I also fear sometimes that, wait, are you okay? Oh, I was just coughing. Okay, good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me think that like, because we always hear the way that pitchers get their injuries. We t- we talked, we heard about guys with splitters who were saying like the way they hold the splitter affects their elbow or the way they're gripping the ball hurt themselves or the way they're squeezing it too hard. You fear that this like massive shoulder injury is the anterior, it's the anterior capsule in the back. That's what ruptured. So that's like a pretty serious shoulder Is that injury. TOS or no? I don't think so. Okay. That's, I mean, that's good at least. Yeah, I guess. But I, it, it makes me scared that someone who has access to him has seen a pitch at the Cy Young level for his entire career is like we can't it's not it's not worth spending like 15 mil this season to see if we can get him back. 
Well, I mean, if there if there was anybody to have that kind of knowledge of what Brandon Woodruff could be or what this injury looks like, it's going to be the guy who used to be his general manager. So no, for sure. I'm just I'm giving some devil's advocate because like just reading with the writing on the walls, I'm like, I, I, I don't know. He probably could come back and be a very good pitcher. Like, I, I'm not a medical expert at all, but it's just like it's it's crazy that they just let him go like that. Like I mean, it is they're saving money. Like this is a cost saving yeah. thing for the Brewers as well. He was not going to play this year, and it seems like no one was offering them any trades worthwhile. So they were just like, all right, let's just save whatever that six to ten million dollars or whatever it would probably be for Brandon Woodruff, uh, and just move on and use that to help our team this year. Yeah, no, it's true, and I, I also wonder where his free agency market goes. Just knowing this, because like he is as high profile as a pitcher, like upside wise that we've seen. Yeah, of course, it can be two year. Yeah, two years. No, deal. that's what I mean. Of course, but it's like where, like who who makes that deal? Because like we've seen deals like this happen across the league. The Mets did it last year with John Curtis. The Dodgers did it a few years ago with Jimmy Nelson, and they yep. did it with um, Blake Trinan as well. But those guys were all relief pitchers. Like yeah. I can't recall. I mean, there was who did this with start? Oh, the Red Sox did this with James Paxton, and yes. it worked to a varying degree. But then he also stopped being effective when he came back after a few months. I I really just don't know. And he was so good last year, but also dealt with sh- injuries, including a shoulder injury that he missed almost the entire year, year with. Came back and then it popped at the end. I don't know. I, I think it can go a lot of different ways. I don't think it's as cut and dry as a lot of people want it to be, where it's like rehabs for a year, comes back, ace again. Like I think it's more like rehabs for a year, comes back. Let's see what we have. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll take it by ear, and if he if he comes to the Mets, we'll talk about it a little bit more. A uh, couple things going on in the division as well. Aaron Nola, one of the top free agent pitchers, took a little bit of a price cut to go back to Philadelphia, which, I mean, good for him, whatever, that's fine. Uh, Aaron Nola, obviously, I think we're a little bit higher on Aaron Nola than it seems like a lot of the baseball world, which I find fascinating because... He's a really good pitcher, so I don't I don't know what everybody else is watching. I know he had some struggles this year with the pitch clock, especially earlier on in the season, but he, he still, I mean, did you see how he pitched in the postseason? He was cash money. He was pretty disgusting. No, he's truthfully one of the most like trustworthy and dependable pitchers in all of baseball. He just turned 30 uh, this season. He, had, he has a chance, I read an article after the signing, to be one of the longest tenured Phillies if he plays out, like in the history of the franchance. If he plays Whoa. out the extent, yeah, he'll have, I think Steve Carlton was 15 years and Nola's already spent one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It'll be 16 years if he throws all, all seven with the Phillies. So 16 year, it, I like the fact that someone could be an all-time, like an all-time player for their franchise. I don't like it's a guy that we have to pitch like, against <laughs> yeah. every single year in our division. But like conceptually, it's a cool thing in baseball. We don't see in sports that much anymore. And I think he pitched so much better last year than his four four six ERA would indicate. And I think that a lot of that is going to be fine. Like, And at the end of the day, what the Phillies did, and we talk about this a lot, especially a couple episodes ago when we were going through all the free agent pitchers where you kind of have to decide, do I want to like take the moonshot for the upside? Or do I want to like get some innings? And yeah. The Phillies right now, based on their team context, they're like, we want to get some innings. We want to make sure we can get to the dance because the Phillies have kind of had this equation the last few years where it's like, get us to the postseason, get us in the tournament, and we know we have we know we know have the dogs to run there. So like, uh, that's, that's, that's not the phrase, the dogs to run. Yeah, what that's was that? Not, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the, phrase. The phrase. I, that's the phrase at all. But they they know once they're getting the tournament, they have as good a shot as any to actually get through there. And they do that with a lot of innings from their pitching, a lot of power from their bats, and a lot of velocity from their relievers. It's That's it. They just put it together, and they hope they get there. So Nola is, again, probably more of a guy that gets you to the playoffs rather than wins you a World Series, but he's not a guy that will hurt in your playoff rotation. You just probably don't want him pitching game one, which in this team, he doesn't. So it's a great deal. He doesn't. Yeah, although maybe this also com- complicates uh, Zach Wheeler's uh, free agency next year. But we'll worry about that in the 2025 offseason, which whew, I don't like saying that number. No, not at all. And I think I think there's also it's like a good brief time to talk about the fact that if a player is with a team for a long time and they have 
massive differences in their contract negotiations. They're trying to renegotiate during like the season or two before they become a free agent. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready to leave immediately when free agency happens. A lot of what happens in negotiation is posturing. And like last offseason, Nola basically rejected a deal that was almost exactly the same as this one. Yep. And then came back and then took it when he didn't play as well. And the market didn't dictate he gets significantly more than that. And he wanted to or, keep his family where he's been his whole career. Apparently, though, I think it was Rosenthal or Passon, one of them put out a thing saying that Nola had better offers from other teams. He wanted sure. to come back to Philly. And that's that's something to also keep in mind with, you know, the with Mets. Any, with anything else going on, especially in any Mets players possibly doing the same thing right now. But I think they said he had better offers, but they were marginally better. Like, it wasn't like right. anyone blew him out of the water, where it was like a few million more here. And he got the seventh year from the Phillies, which I think was the biggest thing he wanted anyway. So, again, it just goes to show you that sometimes when your players on your own team are in these intense renegotiations, and he's been there a long time. It doesn't necessarily mean they're really ready to leave. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. No, and a lot of it is done by the agents. A lot of it's of done by the agents. You're trying to get the most money possible. Never never will slight anybody for trying to get their bag. No, shout out the agents. Shout out the agents. They Always do, I mean, doing they, their they job. It's a job. A lot of them are not the coolest people ever, it seems like, like, but they do, good, they, they do good work objectively. There's one particular agent I will not shout out. And I think you know who it is. And I think everybody in the Mets world knows who it is. I will not shout them out. They're excluded from the shout out. Yes, that that, that agent is very excluded from the shout out. But we digress. One more thing happening in division before we do some little Thanksgiving, talk about the giveaway and wrap it up. The Braves made some big moves this week. By big moves, I mean they got two former White Sox relievers, which is not something that's usually said, but they did a lot. I am going to take the side of the hater here uh, because why not? I don't. Okay, I understand why they made the Aaron Bummer trade. Like, they got rid of five guys or six guys that essentially were going to get cut from their roster that weren't going to be there. Describe it more for the people who may not be aware of what happened. Yeah, so the Braves, uh, but right before the non-tender deadline, like like 11 o'clock at night, we were hanging out, right, that night? Where yeah, were Thursday we? Night football. Oh, Thursday Night Football, that's right. So the Braves made a trade with the White Sox, which normally you would go, wow, that's, what did the White Sox give up? for nothing from the Braves, but I actually really like this move from the White Sox perspective and don't really care for it from the Braves. The Braves got Aaron Bummer, left-handed reliever, who I'll let James talk about a little bit more here in a second, but they gave up Riley Goins, who's a prospect, Nicky Lopez, middle infield utility player, Braden Shoemake, who's a borderline major leaguer, Jared Schuster, former first-round pick, and the big one to me is Mike Soroka, who was a top-five Cy Young guy a couple years ago. Now, I know he's not the same pitcher. He's had some injuries, hasn't looked great, but to me, the Braves gave up four major league players for Aaron Bummer, who's a left-handed reliever, who I know the underlying stats have some really, there's some really good stuff there underlying. Like his ERA is not indicative of how well he actually pitched. His FIP is three points lower than what his ERA is. But just from here, and me and you talk about relievers a lot the last few years, like they're so volatile. It seems like it's not as much of a slam dunk as Brave fans are making it out to be. Feels a little bit more like, and I'm going to draw some comparisons here because I caught a lot of flack for it, Feels like Gregory Soto all over again. Like, I don't really care. It's a left-handed reliever who walks a lot of guys. Congrats. Yeah, I think that, again, it was a move that worked out really well for both sides because 
the White Sox were just like, hey, we need we need bodies. Like we want to fill this 40 man roster out and we think you guys can give us some major leaguers. And I do think that I don't think Mike Soroka is really any good anymore. I just think those leg injuries really zapped him. That's a shame because he was such a bright young player. And I think Nicky Lopez is like at best a rotational infielder who can like keep your train moving, not strike. Good out. glove. Good glove. Yeah, great glove. Of course. A lot of different positions. And he's a Chicago kid. I think he I'm pretty sure he yes, a he White is. Sox fan. I'm almost positive of that. So that's a cool story for him. And Jared Schuster is a high draft pick that never panned out and also doesn't really have great stuff. So it's really like Again, from the Braves' perspective, it feels like... And Brandon Shoemake was the other guy, the, the minor league shortstop, correct? Yes, yeah, Braden Shoemake. He was... I'm going to look it up real quick here. He's another guy who I've heard, I've heard good reviews of his glove, but not very much of his bat. Yeah, um, and, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, and I think that at that point, if you're the Braves, you kind of look at your roster and you're like, why didn't we win last year? Big reason why is because all of our star players decided to turtle when the, when the bright lights were on. But <laughs> the second reason is probably their bullpen wasn't really good enough in a high-leverage situation. And everyone's lauding the Braves' bullpen right now where it's a lot more depth over high-end talent. So I think they just had to take a moonshot and a guy like Bummer who, like, the last two years weren't very good. We know the White Sox don't use computers yeah, or Excel no. or any kind of high, high tech information in the system. So I, he's that some, or do you say that? Maybe they will now. Chris Getz is the kind of move that maybe sharper GM would make, kind of. But he is someone who, twice in the last five years, has been one of the best relievers in baseball. He's a lefty who throws hard. He strikes out. He can strike out a lot of people when he's at his best. Actually, he doesn't throw that hard. It's like only 95, but yeah. that's still kind of hard for a lefty. But sink. Yeah. The sweeper's electric. The sinker's really good. He's going to give up a lot of ground balls, and this, he, he, they, I don't know, another high leverage lefty like that is something that every team can use. When you think, when you think in your head you're giving up nothing, that I will take him for nothing for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, they relatively did give up nothing. I just thought it was more of a like, this is a trade. I go at the end, they're like, who cares? I don't care yeah. about either of them, but, and it's just fun to say that the White Sox fleeced them. Yeah, and the other fun thing about this, not actually a fun thing, actually the awful thing, is that now in the Braves, <laughs> like the stupid Atlanta Braves, we just got this amazing player press releases that they started citing like legit stat cast stats in it. Ooh, like don't they, like that. They talked about Aaron Bummer's like barrel rate allowed. They talked about Ugh. his ground ball rate. I was like, damn, I don't like that because those are the two things that he does the best. You'll never barrel a ball against Aaron Bummer and you he get, gives up like some of the most ground balls in the league over 60% going for years and years now when he was at his best over 70%, which is like completely unheard of. Yeah, the 2021, when he was really good, 77% yes. ground ball rate, which is insane. 9% fly ball rate. You know who else was good in 2021? Who? Aaron Loop. You know, sure, yeah. But I think I think, I think think Bummer's <laughs> skills are a little more repeatable and the fact that he's striking out a lot more guys and throwing 95. But I don't know. Hopefully, we'll hit him. I, I, I think he's good. I don't think he's amazing. He could be amazing. He could also be like slightly below average. He's a, he's a reliever where it's like his range of outcomes is something you probably want on your team. Yeah, that's fair. I can see that. I can see that. And then they made another move for another White Sox or former White Sox player in Reynaldo Lopez, who I saw that in classic Braves fashion. Nobody knew. Press release was how you found out. Three years, three-year contract to Reynaldo Lopez. And I was like, oh, wow. That's like an interesting high leverage arm that they're going to put in their bullpen. And then they talk about they're going to stretch him out during the spring and try and make him a starter again, to which I go, did you not learn from watching him attempt to be a starter the first time? He was horrendous. He had nothing. I think that... Yes, but it's also like, again, like I trust the Braves to do something like that more than the White Sox, even though the Braves still Fair. haven't gotten a ton out of their pitching in the last few years. Like their good pitchers have been Max Freed, who was really high draft pick, who got it together. Spencer Strider, who did seemingly, seemingly the way he talks about it, almost everything on his own. He takes pride yeah. in that. And then Charlie Morton, who's 100 years old and has been good for the last seven years. And everything else kind of like high draft picks that they were not able to convert to real pitchers. And Lopez is also weird to me because he basically got his career back on track last year by fully committing to being a reliever. Because his fastball had fine velocity and like okay shape in the rotation, and then it went to the bullpen. And it was okay shape with amazing velocity. Like he was throwing pitches 100 miles an hour. Like that was the thing that made him so good. So I feel like if he's not able to hold that, it's 
it'll make him worse. Like maybe that's just they want to cut the middle, make him like a 50 before the pitch guy. But no one ever does that as much as I keep saying teams should probably try that with some <laughs> of these guys like that. But I don't know, like maybe they think they're going to catch like Seth Lugo lightning in a bottle. But I think that they're probably much better. I think I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to hedge their, their own selves in the starting pitcher market. Like give an agent less leverage like by saying that out loud, you know, like tell yeah. Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Paz and that so you can get like nine million dollars off Sonny Gray's contract. Like that's <laughs> probably what that is. Like that's just me galaxy braiding the Braves. But I think it'd be foolish if you tried to put him back in the rotation. I think he'll be, and I think he'd be a really good high leverage reliever, possibly the best on their roster. That's my hot take there. I think he could I, definitely be better than Rysel Iglesias. I don't disagree with that. I mean, throw a hundred. You have the opportunity to be fantastic no matter what you do. Uh, I'll tell you this. Really hope to see Ronaldo Lopez start a couple games against the Mets this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, for sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that out into the world. I'm going to throw that out into ether. If Ronaldo Lopez is starting games against the Mets this year, we're in a good spot. No, so again, I, I think it'd be weird if they did that, but I also think it was the White Sox. So yeah, anything could happen. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's wrap this episode up here by getting a little thankful. Thanksgiving week. Hopefully everybody gets home safe, has a good Thanksgiving. Remember to be careful. Deep frying your turkeys if you're doing it. Please. Be very, very careful. Keep Please. it away from the house. Do it in a big open space. Uh, crazy how dangerous deep frying a turkey is. I'll tell you this. Shout out Dan Savickas. His videos every year of him deep frying his turkey give me life. I watch it from start to finish. They're electric. You, there's probably like a handful of people that we went to high school with to listen to this podcast. I definitely know a few of them. And they're only them specifically are going to laugh out loud at what you just said. But That's fine. Not, I'm, I'm doing it for a couple laughs. I'm doing it for a couple. <laughs> and I hope Dan gets this message because I want him to know I live for that video. Me too. Every single year. Live too. Live on Facebook. Live. Live. 11 in the morning on Thanksgiving. There's nothing better. But... As you guys know, if you're still listening, we ran a little giveaway this week. We're going to be giving out a DJ Stewart signed ball to commemorate both Thanksgiving and the fact that, that we're thankful he's back in the team, the fact he is back in the team. And we asked you guys to share some of your uh, Mets memories, Mets mem- moments you're most thankful of. And we have a few here, Mark. I was wondering where you want to start. Yeah, well, I'll start off with uh, Richard. We'll end it with the person who's going to end up winning the giveaway. Uh, we have selected the winner as well. But we'll start off with Richard Hernandez, who said a random moment in time when the Mets were not in a good spot. Jose Bautista walk-off grand slam against the Rays. Electric moment when all was kind of bland and Mets landed. Yeah, the Jose Bautista era of the New York Mets is one of the most peculiar ones. I mean, you look back at that 2018 season and you look at some of the guys that were on this team. Adrian Gonzalez was on this team. Jose Bautista, Jay Bruce, Austin Jackson. Uh, I think Jose Reyes got some time during that season as well. Oh, yeah, got a little bit more than time. He played 110 games. Ty Kelly was still running around City Field. This was uh, this was an interesting team, to say the least. <laughs> that also, it's funny because Reyes and Bautista are both on the Hall of Fame ballot right now. And that, yeah. that was that was both their last hurrahs in Major League Baseball <laughs> with, that, with that roster there. There were also, we got so many responses here about just like people being in games with their dads, like went to this game, that game. And then a lot of Johan talk. And then another one from our buddy Javier that I wanted to read out right now. It was uh, the David Wright World Series home run. Talking about David Wright a little bit this episode. He said, God be the moment that made every Mets fan believe again. A well-deserved David Wright World Series homer. Which I know that World Series didn't go well for the Mets in total. And that still sits with me every single day, especially this time of year. But just the fact that he was able to be on that roster and hit a huge home run in City, in city Field during, the, during a World Series game in I believe the one game the Mets actually won the World Series. Yes, that that was that was a cool moment. That's a moment I look on really fondly for Mets fans. I, was, I think I've told the story a few times. This, but I'll say it briefly again that when he hit that home run, it was on the Halloween party in college. My buddy Ryan, some other friends, and I just went completely feral. I, I, <laughs> I had a flight home the next morning, surprised my mom for her birthday. It was a 10 a.m. flight. I missed it so badly. Like the guy who ran one of like the best bars on Ohio State's campus. Like as a time when you're. 
when you're like it's a, it's a bad bar, but when you're that age, it's a good bar. He was a huge Mets fan. He saw me and my buddy wearing Mets jerseys. He's like, "You guys, anything you want, anything you want, right now, just tell me anything you want." And yeah, I, I missed a plane. It was one of the two planes in my life I've ever missed. And you know what? I, I that, that doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, like you said, a lot about uh, Johan, a lot about you know families and going to the games with their kid or their dad, which definitely I think we both can relate to on the dad side of uh, going to games with our dad. Some of our best memories. If you guys want to see a funny v- picture of Vito, he posted one uh, yeah. from from uh, June first, twenty twelve. You guys know the date well, so if you want to see Vito about ten years ago, you can get a picture there. One of my favorite ones too. I liked from uh, where did I just had it from Shane Kriegstein saying the day we learned of the Lindor trade, a little bit more recent, a little bit more new. But I remember being in the apartment in Astoria and running around making a TikTok, being like, we got Francisco Lindor. Oh, my God. We like we'd been joking about it forever. Like, man, how great would it be if Francisco Lindor could be the shortstop of this team? Like we need a shortstop. The Guardians don't want him. We can make the trade happen. We got him. Was super, super pumped and still am super excited that he's on this team. Yeah, he's he is our superstar. And now the winner. This was this. We got some style points for this one. Uh, Shout out to Vester Tweety Cat S Tweety Cat. He put up a picture of himself as a child after the Game 5 of the 1969 World Series saying, I'm thankful for this Mets moment, taken after Game 5 of the 1969 World Series, which I was lucky enough to attend. And he's just decked out in a sweet orange jacket, a cool New York Mets white t-shirt with a black undershirt. He's posing up real nice. He's got an old school blue Mets hat on. And he's staring in through the back chain link fence that many of us remember so well at Shea Stadium. Just looking back into the stadium after a Mets World Series. I think that was... I think that was the win. That wasn't the clincher. I think they won that game. Absolutely crushing it in that picture, Sylvester. That's uh, that's also awesome that he like still has that like readily available. He's like, this is probably. I mean, it's one of his favorite Mets moments. Of course, he has it on his oh, uh, phone no, that, ready. That to was go. very. That was very literally the clincher. That was very good in the game. Mets had just won the World Series. Now it was him just stunting on us. And I think it's also cool the fact that we talk about this a lot. Like whenever it comes up, but he said this was after Game Five of the 1969 World Series. It is light outside. It is, it is bright. bright. <laughs> and he's a child. He missed school for this game, I'm assuming. Let me check what day of the week this World Series game was on. But uh, I mean, he looks quite young. I don't know. He looks like he's like maybe five or six years old at this time. So could be debatable whether eh, he's probably in kindergarten then. Kindergarten first <laughs> grade. Sure he's cool. Maybe we can get October 69. What day of the week was this? This is such great podcasting here right before we get, we get out of here. I mean, the, the the picture's killer. Again, we'll send it to Vito so he can put it on screen for you guys watching at home yeah. on YouTube so you can get a visual. But. Just a, a killer look. And you know what? He has his glove with him, too. I don't know if you noticed that. He was oh, ready to catch a ball. Glove. Yeah, the catch a glove. That's cool. Nice. All right. So, shout out Sylvester. Great moment you're thankful for. Of course, a Mets World Series victory. There were a lot of those. Game 6, 1986 as well. Things we're thankful for. We hope to be thankful for that again soon. But as far as this episode goes, I think I think we're good here, Mark. Yep. Sylvester, we'll reach out to you on Twitter to get your information to send you that DJ Stewart ball. Appreciate all of you guys at home, wherever you are at work, in the car, listening to us, supporting the podcast that you have for the three years that we've now been doing this. Hope to continue to do it more and more for you guys. Make sure you're following us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel so you can see the video version of this and you can see that awesome picture of Sylvester rocking that Mets, you know, uh, outfit at the, the World Series. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. We really do appreciate you. We'll read out reviews on the next episode. So if you want a shout out, Go drop us a review. That way you'll be able to get shout out on that one. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And me at Giraffeneck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll talk to you next week on the next episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time. Happy Thanksgiving.